Hello, my strong friend. It's Coach Cappuccino here, also known as Carmen. Welcome to the Brain Gains Podcast. This is episode number one. Today, we have a super, super awesome guest. He is my physiotherapist, actually, but also kind of like a colleague, um, Thomas. He is a physio and manual therapist, also has done several certifications through Dr. Stuart McGill, the BackFit Pro. And he is the physiotherapist who was responsible and who I trusted with the rehabilitation of my back injury, my disc bulge. Some of you may have followed that journey and saw my progress, my transformation, I guess, how I went from not being able to sit or stand or breathe without pain to actually basically returning to the platform. So because we worked together really well over the last six months and we had a lot of interesting conversations and learning together that we thought are worth sharing, that's what we did in this talk and we are going to talk about a lot of things that are very controversial as well um, we're going to talk about the physio side of things so how he assessed me how he examined me what's important there um, about triggers and resilience about things like the role of core training in a lower back rehab um, the role of imaging in an assessment or in planning a rehabilitation um, defining progress in the in rehabilitation what to do if you have a relapse and in the end, we're also going to talk about very controversial topics such as whether or not you should squat to depth or ass to grass or not, and what to do if you're not built for it but still want to power lift, if a butt, butt wink is dangerous or not. So stick around, listen all the way through the end. There are very, very interesting nuggets and truth bombs in there. Very valuable for a lot of coaches, physios, but also trainees, especially if you've ever dealt with an injury in your career. So yeah, I hope you're going to enjoy. Let's go. Hi, Thomas. <laughs> um, I'm very excited about our talk. So for anyone who's listening, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, thanks, Carmen. Uh, thanks for the welcome. Uh, hi, guys. I'm Thomas. Um, I'm a physio and a manual therapist currently stationed in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Um, I've been Carmen's physio for... Since December? Since December last year, yeah. Um, how did we meet uh, Thomas? How did we meet? You were uh, an intern in our uh, practice. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think you were not my intern. No. But to elaborate a little more um, about the practice, um, I'm cur currently stationed in Amsterdam, currently working uh, at Physiolab in Amsterdam. Um, and um, we're working with a, a young and dynamic team um, at, the, at a practice location, also several uh, external locations uh, um, and gyms. Uh, we do focus on physical therapy, but also on uh, performance and uh, nutritional advice and um, uh, mental, mental health. So it's like the whole, whole human being is, uh, is looked at. So that's uh, like a holistic view which I very like. Um, I've been working there from 2016 on now. And um, yeah, that's where we met and that's how we started. So yeah, just for the listeners a little bit, what we want to talk about today or what the plan kind of is. So what we kind of want to present is, is a talk on low back pain, but also rehab and also kind of um, talk about the lower back, I guess, in strength training. Um, and we're going to kind of relate it to, to my injury, do a little case study, um, talk a bit of, about the like ups and downs of rehab, um, 
and where to start and then how to to move up and how to move forward in the end because i just know from my like own experience that in the beginning of this rehab i was in really not a good place and for me i knew like one day i'd be like healthy again but i really didn't have a, a clue on on how to get there even though i'm a physics student myself and i you know i people could think i know the way out but that's not always the case even if you have a lot of knowledge um Maybe we want to talk about a bit first on how my injury even came about. Yep. <laughs> so people people know. <laughs> um, so I'm a competitive powerlifter in the minus 57 kilo weight class. And I've been training for a long time now, two, three years, four years. Um, and I guess at some point I started to get some back pain <laughs> from deadlifting and squatting and doing lots of it and doing lots of it very heavy. And um, it got more and more severe to a point where I, I really struggled in everyday life. And I also decided to compete with that pain, which might not have been the best idea. Um, and then basically, yeah, it went down from there. I stopped deadlifting, stopped squatting, stopped doing all of that um, because I was in too much pain in, in everyday life as well. Um, and then I ended up, well, visited some physios and ended up with Thomas. Um, yeah, and how, maybe would, I just want to ask you first how your, or we don't want to talk about how your approach was a bit different than, than mine even, because I tried to rehab the back myself first. <laughs> um, and I think my, my approach, how, how it's different from others, I think the, the McGill course, um, of which I did the three levels uh, in, in uh, the beginning of 2019 was the big biggest influence for me. Mm -hmm. um, and before, a lower back pain patients were not my, well, gotta be honest here, not my favorite um, kind of people um, because in school you get two categories, specific back pain and non-specific back pain. Uh, specific back pain you have when there is tissue, tissue damage. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say a disc bulge, end plate fracture, um, um, ridic radicular uh, conflict uh, or um, hernia. Um, and you have non-specific back pain, which makes up about like 99% of the back uh, injuries, uh, which is, well, a lot. Um, and what the evidence states is with non-specific back pain, you just go and move. And that, that's about it. You get some general advice, some training, um, but for me, there was little direction and that's not something you could help probably an athlete with, like me. You well, you can move. you can try. Yeah. But what I was really looking for is to um, examine in a detailed way and um, give someone specific advice, specific directions. Um, and I think... For me, the McGill course gave, uh, gave me uh, those tools to yeah. do so. And it's, 
it's actually based on finding the things that trigger your pain and the things that don't. And if you um, make a list of those and then you start working on those triggers. I think that was also definitely something that I was missing when I, I know I, when I tried to rehab myself, cause I, I, I mean, I guess to a certain degree, I made some progress, but I was kind of missing that, that, yeah, those triggers and that um, more, more profound examination as well that you obviously can't do on yourself maybe anyway. Yeah, um, as well as like an, a more objective eye on it, I think, um, because even if you know something like pain is very subjective and it's very like emotional as well. So um, I guess those were two things I was missing. And with my previous physios, and I think that made, made your assessment and your approach also a bit different was like how thorough you examined me and, and, and also with like the, the knowledge you had from the McGill course. Um, yeah, just different, different approaches, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. I think you I also think the, the, fill out this yeah. pain questionnaire, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that already gave me, I think you more, more trust as well. So it's like, aha, this is different. Yeah. <laughs> Not the basic A ROM, P ROM muscle testing. Yeah. But also a bit more thorough. I think you have to get the whole story right. Yeah. Definitely. If, if you've been coping with the back pain for quite some time and it, it gets into several parts of your life. Yeah. Uh, you said at first it was during uh, performing, during training, and then it moved into your daily life. Yeah. Uh, and um, it, it messes with your head too. Exactly. Uh, it causes, uh, could, it can cause negative emotions, frustrations, um, which you are right to have. Definitely when uh, managing the injury is, is hard. And whatever you do to the best of your knowledge and with the best intentions um, doesn't work. Or maybe it does work on the short term, but it doesn't work on the long term. Um, and I, I was in uh, preparing for, for the talk now, I, I looked into your file uh, with, of the first uh, uh, session and I wrote down a crazy ton of info um just you telling me um well the whole the whole story i remember you even opened a word document you were like wait let me let me write the story down instead of your normal soap notes yes <laughs> i was like yeah. yeah let's get ready for um, a novel <laughs> yeah but it's i think it's Good. it's necessary and yeah. um uh in in the netherlands like the usual in, in uh like in the care that gets uh um, you get paid by insurance. The intake takes up uh, one hour, mm -hmm. and sometimes you need you need longer to get the whole story straight because um, you have to cater to the individual to yeah. your to your needs. If we get the whole picture straight, then you can start. And I think it's necessary because the things we took out of your story as an, as an example, as a pattern were the, um, the flexed positions, for example, the, the slouched positions, 
um, which were uh, triggering your pain. Uh, sleep wasn't good. You had the, the, the plane ride that, that uh, worsened the pain recently uh, mm -hmm. then. Um, and all those components you, you need to have clear before you can start. And I think that your story is the most important. And then yeah. you're going to test to in or exclude certain uh, tissues or uh, uh, factors. And also, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point because someone also asked on like how to find a physio that's like that's suitable for you. And even I obviously struggle with it, even though I guess I have connections, Amsterdam, I study myself, but I think that's a really good point. Finding someone who listens to you and the whole story, instead of telling you that, you know, you should stop lifting, you should stop doing what you're doing, but rather finding a way to make you more tolerant to it and yeah especially lift um not lifting uh listening listening a lot and doing a very thorough examination i think are two two really important points and as well as understanding the sport you do i think that's that's also really important yep yeah i uh i agree and if you if you have that thorough examination then the better i can give you uh, directions for training and, and where to start. Because yeah. um, if, if you look at um, recommendations for lower back pain, some, some physios give you core training. Exactly. But what is that? Yeah. Like, if, is that planking? Is that uh, deadlifting? Is that a hollow hold? Is it and a And that's side also plank? what you learn in school though. Like you, you, you do, you know, core training, but what do you actually do when you'd say you train core but we're going to go into depth on that as well later um another question we have um is because when i came to you i already got an mri done and yep. the question is really what role does that image that mri um which stated that i have a very like a small disc bulge um l3 l4 or something what how much value did that give you in your assessment in your the picture you had of the injury in your decision making um for an assess uh, an intervention um and how important was it to you as a physio to have it to plan my um, yeah it's 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 a piece of the puzzle i think the most important and that's that's how we started is with the story and the examination and um if we get that straight then the mri is extra yeah. and if if you look at the the literature on the value of um, imaging it's it's not that not that big because we can do an mri of my spine now and i might have some disc bulges i might have a couple hernias my facet joints might not be as good as five years ago. Does it matter? I don't think so. Yeah, um, I agree. I think, I think the, the, you, you went to get an MRI, you get the results. I think you're in the doctor's office for like 10 minutes. Not even, yeah, it depends. Maybe the, the you doctor, just look at the result yourself and interpret into it whatever you want to. Then you, you get the results and, and the doctor tells you, well, um, Carmen, you have a disc bulge on this yeah. level. And then you think, oh my God, 
I can't um, train. What? I can't do this. I can't lift. Yeah. I can't. I can't bend over. Although maybe those things you've done before anyway, without you know them giving you pain. Yeah. Um. And then it's show just people get um, they get like stamped as as they're as they are broken. Yeah. Exactly. You know something's yeah. damaged. But I think the 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 most important thing is is it relevant for your pain? And I think in your case it was, but it uh, like at your age and at my age as well, and prognosis for disc bulges and hernias is very good. Yeah. But you have to manage it well. Exactly. And if you have core training that might consist of several exercises, what if if one exercise might help one person but might be a poison to uh, a different person yeah same like if, if if cycling helps you it might not help me yeah so you have to be very specific to to for the individual yeah but i think that was a good point that you made that um the imaging might do something with you like mentally and how you think about the injury as well yeah. like even I, like, I know that imaging, like the role of imaging isn't, isn't always that big. Like it has an importance and it has its time and place. Um, but it's not like the end all be all, like, like we talked about the movement based assessment and interventions is, is especially in my case way more important, but even I, who's aware of that was like, ah, shit, like I have a disc bulge, like, Ooh, like, because there's always yeah. some, some, some stigma, some connotation to it. Um, you gotta know, be careful otherwise you and no. you're like is this actually ever gonna heal right like now i have it black and white like i'm injured um mm -hmm. and then having someone to give you the confidence of like look it's just you just have a flexion like bias you like you you just have pain and i think flexion for me and then lateral shear force i think it was my case yeah. that's it like and that's what we're gonna work on and build resilience on and and i think uh so i'm not saying like don't ever get go and get an mri but um it's not the end all be all like this is it and this is it for the rest of your life like here oh. i am like half a year later lifting again right so. yeah and and i think the movement based assessment and the story are the, the two most important things um and it, it's good to 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 have the context of the mri point so yeah i think i think the the imaging yeah has its time and place but it's not your your final say in how well you're going to recover or especially not in, the, in these kind of injuries. So, yeah. No, I think if you, if you would have uh, come up to me um, without the history of already having an MRI, I wouldn't have sent you. Yeah. To be honest. And who knows if right now I have the same picture, like, but there's no reason for me to get one right now, but possibly, possibly nothing changed in my spine. <laughs> So oh. like, cause we don't know. Um, and then I wouldn't be like, oh my God, I have a disc hernia because I don't have any pain. So it's not, it's not always, you know, um, yeah. Just yeah. no one goes out there to get an MRI done if they don't have any pain. Um, but I think that's a really interesting aspect, really. Yep, I think, I think so too. And it, it, it just um, stresses the fact that it's a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And if you have like a progressive neurological symptoms that you have an increasing uh, strength deficit or um, uh, sensory issues 
if that increases in time, all right, I'll, I'll of course I'll send you to a neurologist. Yeah, and that's not my expertise. Exactly. But in this case, um, I think we'll 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 dive a little deeper in the examination uh, in a bit, right? Yeah. Um, but there are no no big neurological signs. So exactly. No. Yeah. Yeah, so moving on to the examination, um, what were your goals for the examination when you when you saw me after after I told you my whole history, <laughs> my my little novel? <laughs> um, yeah. What was the main goal for you? Well, based on your story, you already form a couple of hypotheses, and one of those were a possible flexion intolerance. And it just means that flexion in any way triggers your pain. And because you told me when you're slouched on the couch or in a chair, that triggered your pain. Um, Studying, biking, yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to identify those patterns and look for those patterns in, in your uh, story first. And then the tests can help me confirm or not confirm those uh, patterns. And um, we did a couple very straightforward testings. Um, I had you uh, sit upright on a chair, um, hold, hold the seat of the chair, and then lightly pull yourself into the chair. And it was fine. Then you did it in a slouched posture. That wasn't so fine anymore. So what does that so what does that tell you? Because it probably doesn't tell you like she shouldn't slouch anymore because it's not like a posture problem. It's just for that moment in time. So right then uh, the slouched position um, triggered your pain. And that confirmed for me the hypothesis of that flexion intolerance because by slouching I mean like slightly bending your uh, spine and with pulling yourself into the chair you compress a little in that position um, and that doesn't say you cannot slouch or flex anymore ever again ever again because um, well I think that's that's a horrible thing to say and um, we just need to avoid it temporarily yeah like uh, remember the the cut in your finger let the scab grow by not triggering the pain caused by that flexion and then um, once you have less pain you can start building tolerance and resilience of the tissues by uh, training and gradually exposing them to uh, st stresses, forces, loads, volumes, that eventually you're strong enough again to bend over, not think about it with a uh, flexed uh, spine yeah. or slouch on the couch now. And, and that's perfectly fine. I think the other thing was like also taking away triggers. Um not just like the obvious ones like in training where i was like okay i'm not gonna deadlift but also things from everyday life like mm, some of the exercises in terms of like core tension or 
um, yeah, core tension to implement them into everyday life and into movements that that give me pain that I maybe didn't want to realize at first. Also things like biking to where I was like, yeah, well, I have to bike. Like I live in Amsterdam. I'm, that's how I get around. Yeah. But also just saying, okay, like you're not, not going to bike for the rest of your life. You might not bike for the next four weeks or two or however long yeah. until, until it's not a trigger anymore. And exactly. just because, like taking away more and more isn't necessarily like a bad thing. Cause I was like, I'm already doing less and less and less. Like it's Im like impossible that I as a 21 year old can't bike on my bike, right? Well, in that moment it is maybe, and that's okay. But it just have to bridge like this, this short period of time until I'm like, I'm building tolerance. I'm feeling more comfortable doing it. And kind of as a patient, like from my perspective, who like as someone who's like, who likes to perform, who, was very strong I guess allowing that as well and and being like okay well I'm, I'm gonna take another step back but with the help of someone else I'm gonna also be able to take that step forward again so yeah. it doesn't have to be as much about like can you bike or can you can you not bike but there are also a lot of variables you can change like how far how long exactly. um, maybe take it it's a bit it's a bit childish and a bit weird but maybe take a couple breaks yeah if you, if you have to bike a, a bit further because i think the main the main goal to start with is create pain relief yeah and if that means not lifting temporarily or not doing a couple things in daily life it's a bit scary because you you might feel um like you're weak. losing more and more from, yeah. from what you can do um but that's really just temporarily and and just because you're eliminating those things yeah it, it doesn't mean it's going to be like this forever really just remembering that as well as i thought it was really important so but that also brings into another thing which is um at least something that i got asked a lot because i talked about um my back pain a bit on social media was um my bench arch because we talked about triggers and how yes. I had this flexion intolerance, but people always, so for those who don't know me, when, I, when powerlifters like bench press, they often overarch their back to de decrease the distance the barbell travels. And people kept writing me like, like no, no wonder you're having back pain when you do this, right? <laughs> and yeah. I'm, like, I stopped replying to people like this because I was like, there's no point. But it wasn't the trigger. It just wasn't the trigger. If it was, I would have lied on the bench, like flat. <laughs> um, yep. And then we would have eliminated it as well, or I would have earlier. Uh, of the testing. So that we had the flexion intolerance that came up as, yeah. as the, the, the biggest hypothesis. And the second one was the lateral shear. We took those two things and we prioritized it in the, the first phase of rehab to bring down the, the movements, postures and loads in which you were flexing or were exposed to a lateral shear to relieve the pain, which worked. And then once we had that pain-free fundament, we started building tolerance against those 
postures, movements, and loads. Because I think don't let any physio ever tell you or anyone that you cannot bike anymore. Because that's, yeah. that's just plain stupid. And I think that was also the starting point of the rehab um, that I didn't seem to get right. Um, we just focused on, on the triggers and the movements that I wasn't tolerant to. And then, but also at the same time, while avoiding those movements, at the same time, building tolerance to them. So mm -hmm. we, had, we had to create this pain-free foundation. Exactly. Maybe you want to talk about the, the position of resp respite a bit? Yeah, um, I think that'd be that was actually, I think the first exercise we did. Because that blew my mind. Was, and then I was like, okay, this is never going to fix me. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's very weird because if you're an athlete and doesn't, I think it doesn't really matter which sports um, you want to do stuff. You want to feel right? like you, you work for something like hard or. Yeah. yeah. You want to. Perform. You want to train to to uh, relieve the pain and to get yourself better. And it was the case right after the first phase, but um, we started with a with finding a position of respite, which means a safe place to go to um, for when you are in pain and you just wanna. Um, get into a certain position in which you have less pain. It's as simple as that. And I think it, it, it was a, a, a different way of starting exercising, right? Mm -hmm. For you. Yeah. And also for, also for me, um, from what I have been taught earlier, um, but it's for me, it's, to me, it sounds very logical now. Because I think a lot of people think, so they have this back injury maybe, or this back pain, especially in the lifting world, powerlifters, bodybuilders. And they're like, okay, now I'm going to train. I need to strengthen something, or maybe even I need to mobilize something. Like I need to do this cat cow and I need to do, I don't know, like hamstring stretches or God knows what. I need to do a lot of crunches or planks or God knows yeah. what. When really like all we did was, in my case, I was lying on my back and did something with my core. <laughs> and yeah. It's not an exercise. It's like, it is an exercise, but it's not like an, an exercise, if that makes sense. Where not I'm like, yet. not yet, where I'm like, actually, like, I feel like I'm doing something or I, it was just a lot of mind muscle connection, a lot of, yeah, create like, yeah, finding this position and then trying to hold it. And for me, that was probably the thing I was most skeptical about where I was like, I know it's such yeah. a small exercise. How is this ever going to help me lift again? And even looking back, it, it kind of blows my mind, but it makes sense if you connect dot, dots backwards again. It wasn't a, a holy grail. No. You got you to gotta look at the timeline and to find what's right for that person at that time. And at that yeah. time finding a position uh, and later on a movement that um, can relieve the pain is a start because yeah. you cannot start building strength uh, and resilience yeah. on pain. Exactly. Um, and for a lot of people having that safe place to go to 
when when you're in pain, just maybe even in the back of your head uh, as a backup, create some mental comfort. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that this position, I think maybe that's important for the listeners. It's not the same for everyone. It's not like nope. there's this one, we're not talking about this one position of respite nope. that, that it's like, I don't know, we're going to sell now. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's just something you have to find as the patient or the therapist, super individual. So it's not I think a, the examination a- helps finding that position. And um, that's, that's how we started the first phase and managing and relieving the pain to create a fundament of pain-free postures and movements yeah and you can i often use the metaphor of your bank account and you were in bed you were in the red because you were in pain yeah and your story, the examination, and how you react on the first, I'd say, couple of weeks of uh, rehab give, gives us an indication of how, your, how big your debt is. And by creating that pain, well, that pain relief, thereby we can pay, start paying off your debt. Yeah. Get you back to zero and then you can start building if you're still in the red you can't really build up nope. yeah nope. something i had to realize or that was a bit frustrating as well in the beginning um especially i think anyone who's had a, an extensive longer rehab um knows that um is that pain-free foundation quote-unquote doesn't mean you're pain-free every day all the time because that's yeah, also something exactly. you're going to have to build up. So a, a good day is already a win or maybe a couple good hours for someone who's, who's in more intense pain. And that might turn into days and, and then even weeks. And then maybe you have a, a worse day or something. Um, but th- just because you're starting a rehab doesn't mean, or you're having a physio doesn't mean you're suddenly like pain free again, fully. I think that was, yeah, I think the start that um, I think you, you make a very good point, Carmen, because um, that, that position of respite or um, a couple exercises, for, for some, it, it fixes the whole problem, but then it wasn't a big deal uh, to start from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for some, it doesn't create... Um, complete pain relief but it it shows you and me that we can that we do have an influence on the pain and a lot of people when they come to me i ask them how are you and then they tell me i still have pain mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> then i ask them to explain their pain and sometimes um when you go when you dive a little deeper they tell you it takes a bit longer for the pain to come on and and when the pain comes on it's a bit less intense it's really hard to see that as a patient sometimes to to see that as a win because in the back of your head you're still like overall i still have pain but you as a physio and that's something you do well as well is is seeing that 
it comes later it doesn't it's not as intense all these things and yeah. making the patient realize that is also because then sometimes you told me that and i was like yeah but i have pain <laughs> you yeah. know but, but it's important it's a big step i think it's really it's really important to emphasize and and and, and make very clear that it, it it's the beginning of something good yeah that we are on the right track and then you can um start from there yeah and i also think even if you have that position of respite and later on um uh, the bracing exercises which i think i'll tell after this um you have to take a lot into account also the other stuff in daily life like how how long do you sit and the cycling again all that stuff and even how many hours do you sleep what do you eat um, are you stressed are you yeah. stressed out uh, do you have a lot of frustrations because you can do all those exercises but if um a lot of other daily activities are are picking the scab yeah then what you're doing in rehab is not of any use yeah especially if you have an injury that's not just a problem during training i think yeah. when you're at that point then you can't just change variables in your training nope. and that's also something like, I mean, I was at some point I was a bit forced to realize that because I had so much pain in everyday life that I was like, well, I literally cannot sit on my bike anymore or I don't know, sit for three hours and slouch. Um, but yeah, once if, if you have an injury that's that's really just during training and certain movements, then it can be your rehab might be way more specific to that movement and building tolerance to it, for example, than if you have an injury that's that's so not so severe, but yeah, but the pain that's affecting you in, in so many ways that you really do have to look at, at your whole day and you're like, okay, how's the sleep? How's the stress? All these things that might, may influence it then. I agree. Yeah, another thing that we wanted to talk about really quickly is how I changed the training, my, my program, because I think that's also something we looked at it a bit. Yeah, um, also one, a piece of the puzzle, yeah, exactly. Because just like the everyday life, that's kind of the other half, the training. And my, initially when I came to you, I was like, yeah, I'm only, I'm only doing exercises that don't give me pain. Or I remember in the beginning, I still did like mm, single leg deadlifts, but with, with, a with a kettlebell. And then I tried the belt squats. Right. And I was like, technically this should be like fine because, you know, and then you were like, yeah, but if you think about your, your um, intolerances, if you think about the flexion problem, the, the shear force problem, the lateral shear force problem, then just for now, eliminate this trigger as well. And, mm -hmm. and I think, again, for me taking another step back in my training where I was in my head already like, oh my God, I'm not even doing anything right now, um, was, was really difficult, but really important. And keeping in mind that it's temporary really makes it so much better. I think... And I'm, I'm grateful for that because it requires some uh, trust from your yeah. side as well. Because sure. you gotta you gotta trust me enough to to make that step back. Yeah. As as a as a as a physio telling you not to do some certain lifts anymore. 
this that that can for some people it can feel like I'm taking away things you like, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then short-term gratification for me doing belt squats and then kind of telling myself, well, they were okay, but really the next day I was like, mm, you're not okay. Nah. And you were like, is it giving you pain? And I'm like, mm, well, you know, it's not, yeah. And then you were like, well, just eliminate it for now. Like, um, and also not not really taking too much advantage of one good day, maybe is also something really important that I had to realize just because I had one good day doesn't mean I can go on and deadlift, you know, 70 kilos right away again. Yep. But reporting back to you, okay, we actually had four, five, six good days. Now what's the next step? It's definitely not picking up a barbell and going bananas. So yeah. No, true. Now, big question. What now we had the position of respite, right? That was, yeah. that was me lying on my back and, and hanging from a bar as well hanging from a bar another tool in the in the yeah toolbox. in the toolbox another safe place position position of respite me learning how to to brace in a certain way engaging my core what role did core training play in my back rehab uh, a very specific but huge role and it all depended on your story and the examination and that again is the reason why it has to be very thorough. For the core training, we started by finding your neutral. And when I say neutral, what I mean is uh, imagine the, um, your, your spine with all the vertebrae stacked upon each other and that they're stacked in a way that no muscles are pulling on the vertebrae. So that means you gotta relax first. So you start training by relaxing. Yeah. And, and that's another thing, cause I was like, well, cool, now I can relax, now I can lie here on my back. How, yeah. but I don't need to relax when I train, right? Yeah, cause if you, if you would relax, with a 150 kilo deadlift. We, we have a problem, we have another discussion. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But um, I, had, I think I had you lie, lying back uh, on your back and yeah. one hand on the stomach. One on the back. One hand okay. on your back and just trying to switch off your abdominal muscles and your uh, erector spinae. Switching off doesn't mean there's no like, obviously they're still all. on, no. right? So yeah, they're still on, but a bit less. Yeah, yeah, less. And, and learning how to control that as well, front yeah. versus the back. Exactly. So if you if you turn them on a bit less, that means your spine can take on the position it wants to be in. And that's, that's different for everyone. And you ended up with a certain arch. For some it's bigger, for some it's less. So we knew, okay, this is your neutral. My position of respite in that case. In that case, yeah. But sometimes for someone else, it's not. 
-hmm. their relaxed position is not their position of respite. Yeah. Uh, last week I had a client, had her lie down on her back, didn't relieve the pain, but from the examination, I found that when I flexed, when she flexed her head, it did relieve the back pain. Mm -hmm. So I had her lie down with a pillow underneath her head and then she could relax. Yeah. Um, try to find a position so that works for you at that yeah. time. It's not black and white. So how did we go you, from, from this position of respite or for me, like finding my neutral to, yes. to, to core training? So what once, the next once step? you People found, might imagine like planks, crunches, I don't yeah. know, Russian twists, the, the whole ship, dead bugs, right? Maybe the yeah. big deal, big three as well. Cause those yeah. did, that did play a role in my rehab. How did, did we go about from, okay, now she's lying here now she's using that standing up, but you know. Yeah. So from that relaxed neutral, we started bracing. A light brace at first, because like you weren't- Not like hundred kilo powerlifting. Yeah, you weren't lifting, <laughs> you weren't lifting a heavy bar. So yeah. that's not necessary. So you gotta fine, fine tune the amount of bracing um and we also talked about breathing because you need at first you need to be able to breathe underneath the tension and what the the kind of brace we did does is that you engage the the spinal and abdominal muscles at the same time without moving your spine and that's very important because also in the, in the lift, you want to, let's say we have a, a deadlift. You want to drive through the legs into the ground and use your hips and create movement there, but not create, well, as little as, uh, as possible movement in the spine itself. So you want to create spinal stiffness. And bracing helps you create that spinal stiffness. So we started out by bracing 10 seconds. And learning to fine tune the bracing as well. Yeah. 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 Not too hard, not too light. Again, I can have you brace very hard. That may be, be a pain trigger. Yeah. A little bit lighter, not a trigger. Then do that. It's yeah. fine. Um, we started on your back. And then we started translating it to different positions, daily life positions. So while sitting, while standing, so we had three postures, you're in most of the time. Then we started translating to daily life movements. So walking, uh, cycling, um, accompanied by the brace. So what you do then, you're actually preparing to lift. Why? If you're cycling with a uh, neutral and braced, so stiff spine, you're moving your legs. Cycling and walking translates to uh, lifting. And so I think it's my... For a step my, at least, yeah. It's, yeah, for a step. And... 
So it doesn't and have to be. So what I did before, because I remember people always told me like, Carmen, do core training when you have a back injury, right? So really what you always have to think about is, is it specific to your intolerances? Is it specific to your tolerances? Because the one core exercise might give the one person pain and be a trigger, while for the other person, it's like something that strengthen them, strengthens them and builds resilience and tolerance. I think that's a problem in the literature as well. Yeah. Um, core training, the evidence for, for that training isn't very good. Because what they do, they have all these people they put into the study which have back pain and they all do the same exercise program. But maybe the cause of their so-called non-specific back pain different isn't the same for all those yeah. people yeah so why do they all do the same exercises yeah and then you get like a 50 50 result insignificant and then the conclusion of the study is core training doesn't work yeah it's also what you learn at school really um but yeah the specificity is is key in any any training so not just the core core part of it Right. Like, I mean, as anyone who's listening like uh, from the strength training world, like it's always specificity that makes us stronger and better. So the same goes for rehab, really. Yeah, I agree. And we had those uh, two main hypotheses uh, for you, like the flexion and the lateral shear. So at first we were not going to train those two things yeah exactly we were uh, we were uh, training to prevent those uh, mo moments or movements yeah but you can already train to um, create resilience against those forces yeah how important was it that i was pain-free during the exercises and as a reaction to the exercises 24, 48 hours later? I, th I think we had the uh, three on 10 yeah. as a maximum. Yeah. Because you're doing something and you're allowed to feel something. Yeah. Um, but um, if there was any reaction, it, it should die down first and, and not stack uh, on top of each other. Yeah. Another thing was that a reaction didn't mean like that was it. Now we're back to square one. And also having maybe um, pain, that's also a good point maybe, pain and rehab or having a reaction to exercises doesn't mean necessarily you've done damage to it. So it doesn't mean that because I have this one day of pain from maybe going a step too far. Remember when we did the rack pulls, um, that was just like maybe a bit too much this one that yeah. time that yeah. didn't mean that my disc suddenly flew out nope. <laughs> the back again i think as the patient keeping that in mind is really important obviously the physician should anyway hope yeah and what, what i regularly used um, and what we also used was um like a a three moment cycle yeah in which the first moment delivering the stimulus to, to your body, the actual training. Yeah. Then the next moment, 
it can be one day after, same day, or two days after. You evaluate your reaction. Yeah. And the third moment, based on the evaluation, you you regress a little. You do the same, or you progress a little. And that's how we we got back from from kind of this the starting point from the rehab to bridging a gap to lifting right yeah so that was also quite early in the rehab yeah and i think it what what made it easy for you is your background because you're mm. a physio student mm. so we we can talk the same language yeah and you have experience in lifting so you know your share about technique and and the, the most important thing for us was translating what you've learned before about finding neutral, about bracing, translating it to lifts. Yeah. And if, if you're still in pain by moving your arms and legs while keeping the spine stiff, let's say the side bridge or a bird dog, then you're not ready to touch a barbell. Yeah. Um, but once you start progressing those exercises, you get up to a point that the specific exercises start to resemble the lifts as much that you're all, almost on the same level. And then you think like, hey, now we're getting somewhere. It was important for me mentally as well to to do the lift, even if it was one single with the empty bar. Yeah, because you need a barbell in your hands, Carmen. Because yeah. <laughs> that's you. You are a powerlifter. Uh, you were, and you still are. Um, and already, like a couple sessions in, we we went to the barbell uh, already. Yeah, really and early. And I was like, Thomas, I can't, I can't lift. You know, I can't. Why do you make me do this? <laughs> yeah. And I think we, we even started with like um, a 15 uh, kilogram barbell, maybe even a 10. Um, yeah. So you don't, you don't, um, you don't take a big risk because it's, it's all, there's always a little risk. I think you were ready quite early on because we went very well with um, uh, creating the pain relief by changing stuff in, in daily life and uh, training routine. Yeah. Uh, then I had you pick up an empty barbell and just start training the motor patterns, like the hinging pattern. Or the squatting and, pattern, yeah. Yeah. Doing that it, lifting, just doing it, and then squatting. seeing, okay, yeah. how does it feel? and yeah. and yeah maybe there's an ache here or there but just maybe this one single of just feeling every part of the movement and then i remember we once did this the squat single with yeah a 20 kilo barbell and i did it and i was like because i expect the pain right and i mm. stood up and i put it back and you were like did you have pain and i was like no but like but i'm but I have, and I should have pain, you know, like, yeah. you know, and I was like, but that doesn't mean I'm healed. Like, it, and, and then that's the next important thing I, I think was that 
just because I could do one one single with an empty barbell doesn't mean I'm tolerant to putting on 20s, 30s, you no. know, like, and, and building you being super patient and being like, okay, Carmen, you can do a single now. And I think that's something people or athletes struggle with a lot. They're like, I can do one thing. Now, can I do everything again, please? You know, and you were like, no, yeah. building up volume, building up load one, one step at a time. Yeah. That's another body thing. Just needs, it needs time. Important to, to yeah. slow you down as well, or to speed it up because I wouldn't have touched a barbell in the first place. But once I did, I would have gone way faster. So, you know, you were, yeah. I think communication there is really important. And to explain my, my reasons of, uh, on the why, why yeah. we're doing uh, certain things. We started off by finding neutral in a supine position, mm -hmm. embracing from there. Then we translated into cycling, walk, walking, and uh, more specific exercises. As um, I also think um, the curl up, like the anti-flexion exercise in the side bridge for the lateral shear. And then we translated into uh, different exercises um, to build up to towards those lifts. And eventually you need to be able to hinge squat and deadlift mm -hmm. with the same idea. So with yeah. that neutral, with that stiff spine, and with your uh, arms and legs uh, moving. So we started that off uh, with an unloaded bar, just technique Yeah. to learn the skill uh, again and also show your body and your, uh, I think also your head, mm -hmm. like you're doing this, even it's not much, but it doesn't hurt. And also repeating that because I remember you made me do a 30 kilo deadlift for three weeks, right? We started building up volume before we did load. Yeah. Not necessarily because the load would have like crushed my spine, <laughs> no. but because like also like the mental aspect, obviously like the tissue, that, the tissue part of it as well, but the mental aspect of, well, I can do six reps, let me do six reps again tomorrow or day after. Cool. Now let's try eight, then 10. But let's let's do those a couple of times and not just because I did it once and being like, okay, well, I can do 30. So, you know, always testing the boundaries because that's not really the point of rehab. No, I think that the, the tissue adaptation needs to take place. And that's why... Um, um, you don't progress uh, linear. Yeah. Um, and also, I often start with volume first instead of load. Why? I think for daily life, you need more endurance than you need uh, strength or power. And, and also, while training, you're using your spine almost like i think 90 percent of the time and when i have that resilience already i can always build the strength so yeah. right so i can always build my deadlift up it that's not the, the problem then in the end no that's should true. be my main so, concern when i start out of rehab yeah so yeah. we we uh, we went for 
uh, endurance first. Also, when you do more, you groove the pattern more. So it becomes uh, automatic. Yeah, and people might also think that like endurance is like 25 reps, but it's yeah. also, it's still specific and it's still, it's still kind of related to like how, like the, the, the absolute load and the relative load. So it's not just like, okay, Carmen, now do a three minute side plank, right? That's, we never no. did that. We never went really past 10 or 20 seconds. No, it's, that's useless. Yeah, yeah, that's, and then, and I think, how how does a three minute side plank translate to to exactly. any to any sports yeah. maybe yeah. besides from the world record side planking? <laughs> um, All right, um, last part really. How did we cope with with the relapse? With me saying, okay, ouch, that yeah. was too much because we had yeah. we had one moment I think only. No, yeah, we had a we had a one time. We had a moment. That was, uh, that was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, how did you I, deal with it as a physio what was your because i maybe for the for the listeners what we did was we built up the resilience we increased load we increased volume slowly and then we did a rack pull with i think we jumped from 30 to 50 kilos or something yeah and it just didn't it didn't work i just had pain for like three four days and yeah. took a step back but it happened and then we we started somewhere else again we started a bit lower again and build up differently but uh how did you when i when i was like okay thomas so that was a flop how did you what was your next thought your next step well i thought like i messed up here <laughs> um it, it it made me insecure yeah it scared me yeah it scared me too it's like oh shit where's this gonna go is it is it gonna go away <laughs> uh, are we are we gonna able are we gonna be able to control this yeah and move on uh -huh. so there was i think the the first and and uh, most important thing between us was um being honest yeah uh, like i made a mistake you know yeah. i think uh we we crossed the line and we gotta we, we gotta respect that you know because that's pretty much it right and then you that's can it. go you can always go back from the tipping point yeah unless you actually did like tremendous damage which we didn't and no. i guess barely ever happens really um we didn't because of the the program we were already doing yeah we had quite a good indication of what you were able to handle so yeah. far yeah and then, okay we increase we increase load and not too much yeah and then we we just know okay we we went like your resilience is there and went up this bit okay then we just bring it down yeah to make it level again and yeah. then start building again from there and if you make sure um the the amount you go over like beyond the tipping point isn't uh isn't too big yeah then you're good then, then yeah. you're okay yeah i think it, here's a really good example again of of how important trust is with your physio or i don't know doctor even um because i i was like i didn't think like oh my god you don't know what you're doing or like what like what's the point of this like you're just ruining my progress now yeah. obviously also because you've already got me to a certain point right i knew yeah. 
we are went from here to here and I was there I was part of the process I saw how okay cool like this one time we just did too much and you also I guess made an educated guess on how much load I can I can I can tolerate this day and that was just not the right thing to do but that was pretty much it and I think of course like I was mentally a bit like shit like I have I have the same amount of pain now as in the beginning am I back to square one yeah but obviously after 48 hours I was pretty much okay again and that's it really and then you shouldn't even have to give it that much value or or thought after that you want to true and I think by that time you already had to you already had a lot of to like a lot of stuff to fall back upon exactly and that's what I did what we did and then yeah and it's rehab is not linear you can never say we know for certain that this is the exact right step for the for this patient in this right moment it's you can make educated guesses or decisions and they can be really good or a bit not (laughs) the exact exact they should they should be based on um a good reasoning yeah and um also uh on the the program we were doing at that time yeah um yeah i think the last phase really is going from from this rehab setting i guess to me actually now being back in performance training and and not just doing rehab but um, i'm still building resilience and i'm still building tolerance but now i'm actually also challenged and i can build strength again which is what a powerlifter should do yeah so yeah how did we make this transition and what's what's the plan for the future what's the is the rehab over now are we like done and that's it or what's happening well i think um, the word rehab doesn't apply anymore and um but was essential um for you to start doing what you're doing now again yeah because without that fundament to build upon um you're not able to adapt and build tolerance and resilience and also about like what we talked a bit about a bit earlier like grooving those patterns and once you start once you start once you start reaching higher loads and li- start lifting uh, under fatigue as well exactly you have to be able to the because no once you have like a lot of kilos on your on your back and or you're tired there's no room in your head anymore to start finding that neutral and you got to keep it you got to keep it um you got to keep it stiff and we've we've learned that skill uh, during the rehab phase and that's easy for you now yeah i think yeah it is and and then fatigue is a different setting basically again and then you got to build it build it up in a way in a bit of a different way yeah i think you also have to experience how how fatigue feels yeah and if you start compensating while you're fatigued which everyone does try to eh, you got to try to keep it together 
um, and allow as, as little uh, compensation as possible to make to make the lift uh, to make the lift work yeah and again to, to use the metaphor about the uh, the bank account I think the first phase is uh, estimating how big the debt is and paying off your debt and then you start saving money by building that resilience even if fatigue or higher loads yeah it's really stop now yeah exactly because if the resilience is high then if you make a mis make a small mistake you won't go bankrupt at once yeah you will spend a lot of money <laughs> but if you have a lot of savings it's okay you're fine yeah and um i think i think that's that's important uh, for uh, the future now we're in the, the performance uh, phase like enhancing your uh, performance by increasing your resilience and tolerance then you um, move closer to competitive loads um, again and um, i think then also the question um, you got is about the squat uh, depth mm -hmm, yeah right yeah like because we said like i might not really be built for uh, or what what happens if someone's not really built for a powerlifting squat where you do have to reach a certain depth i also made a post on this a while ago that not everyone yeah. needs to squat past parallel because there's really no need to unless you're a powerlifter and then <laughs> yeah yeah it's like but there there is there is like in the in the, in the fitness industry there's a certain thing in people's heads that you need to squat as grass to a certain depth yeah um but i actually don't know why because maybe maybe you get a better muscle contraction that's that's a different discussion that's okay but yeah, risk to benefit I, is the question <laughs> the, yeah, the, yeah as, exactly i think not not everyone's built the same yeah like your joints your muscles mobility um, yeah your femur length the depth of the hip socket um, all those uh, factors play a role in um, if you're able to go deep yeah and um, if we take a powerlift competition as an example then you have you have to go up to a certain depth for the ref to call the rep yeah right yeah um and let's say you're you are not built for that depth does it matter no now should you train to depth always then exactly mm -hmm. um because i think you will you will mess up if you will train over and over again into the depth you cannot control yeah and where you compensate i agree exactly I, and that's something i had to learn because as part of the industry as part of fitness industry you see 
people are like you need to squat past parallel especially if you've been powerlifting it's like oh my god this wasn't even a proper squat this doesn't count and it's also a concern i had and that we talked about where i was like cool now i can do this and now i i squat you know but i still can't squat to depth without compensation not that it does not that it gives me pain right now but we still don't want the compensation so what's no. the what's the solution to that for me or for anyone who's not built to squat to depth really i think there you could look at certain factors that might play a role like ankle mobility yeah. um, the ability of your um, glute muscles to prevent the knee from falling in um, the uh, endurance and strength of your spinal and abdominal muscles those play a role you can work Other on those factors, like the like shoes or something is also yeah exactly yeah. like the lifters you wear with the slight heel raise can already yeah. be a big improvement yeah but for still some. you have to be if that creates a little more depth in your squat you have to be able to control it mm. um, and eventually you will um you cannot work on your anatomy yeah it's <laughs> a good point if you if you have deeper hip sockets or a long femur Mm. that will that will influence yeah. your movement pattern yeah you, you cannot change that and i think that's i think that the key for for people who think i ca i cannot go as deep then i should not compete that's not true exactly exactly I, yeah i think the key is not to train at competition depth and that's super controversial cuz that's such a big discussion as well and people are like and uh, uh, honestly something I've, I've thought about and considered as well I was like I talked to you about this the concern that if I don't squat to depth in training how the freak am I gonna compete at depth right like yeah. I'm gonna miss that that I don't know a couple centimeters and I'm not gonna have the right attempts and and it's, I'm not, it's not gonna work I'm not gonna be able to lift it right yeah so, so there there are a couple of um like sub phases there, let's say moving up to a competition. First, you want to save up as much money as you can. Yeah. Getting the resilience sky high. So you can spend it all when you need it during the competition and you won't go bankrupt injuring yourself. Yeah. Now, if you never train, in that depth, then your body doesn't know what it uh, what it feels like to go deeper, yeah. right? Which is also possibly a risk in a way. In a way, Never it's there. a risk. Yeah. But I'd say closer to competition, you drop volume, you yeah. increase the load. That's what you do anyway, exactly. Yeah, and you you do a couple singles. At that depth, then you spend a little, well, your resilience is sky high anyway. You come in the gym, you warm up, you do the singles, you go home. And that's it. Because you don't need the, the, all the strength, like I say, 90% you need for the lift you already have. Yeah. You only need to understand how to to use that strength in the last part of the lift i think if you if you train at the depth 
because you think I need to compete at that depth and you're not made for it. It's like bending a paperclip. Yeah. Do it, do it a hundred times. It breaks. Yeah. And there's no point in it really. It's, it's just, I think you can, it's okay to view or to see depth as part of specificity and yeah. saying just like load, the closer we go to competition, the more specific we train and the more we're going to have in there, our competition squat, bench, deadlift, and the more we're going to have in there singles and doubles and triples. And the more we're going to squat to depth. Yeah. But and you then, need to do less work because it's no, yeah. it's no use. If, if you still need to do a lot of volume with a lot of load just before a competition, you weren't ready from the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, yes. I think that's why people deload for a reason. Yeah. Coming up to competition, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's really, really an important takeaway. Um, because yeah, many, most, almost most people I'd say are not built to squat as the grass all the way, even those who do compete in powerlifting. Um, but that doesn't mean that powerlifting isn't for you. Do you uh, want to go into depth on the questions? Yeah. Okay, one of the questions we got was how would you go about teaching a squat or a deadlift in terms of back positioning? So would you would you always advise neutral spine? As a, a general advice, I think it's pretty clear now. Like general advice is really hard. Yeah. Because no one is the same. Yeah. Let's say a certain person has a, a spine which is more in, in a um, uh, kyphotic posture kyphotic, yeah. and he is able to lock in that position and still move about the hips then i wouldn't change that kyphotic posture no i wouldn't no so that that's one example and another example is if a if a certain neutral position hurts a person if that's their trigger then i'm not going to teach you that neutral we're going to yeah. look for a position that works for you and strengthen that position i agree i think um what's maybe even more important than having a spinal neutral which doesn't even really exist anyway when you start lifting because we know that once you remove the barbell or whatever you're or load your back there is movement at the spinal level what's more important is that you don't move too much move the spine too much in either way flexion or extension throughout the movement so that you do keep the br bracing and that you do keep the stiffness um, and that you don't have, you know, any laxity, I say, or any, any excessive movement happening while you lift. I think that's what yeah. I prioritize while teaching, because when you look at someone, any, anyone's back looks different anyway. Like you said, some are more kyphotic, some are more lodotic. So I think, I think that's what someone has to focus on more. And then yeah. also when you, I don't know, coach someone and you see their deadlift, then instead of saying, this is a bad deadlift, look at, or, or this, the, this deadlift will injure you saying, okay, how much movement is happening throughout the movement? And, and yeah. Movement 
about the spine is perfectly fine because we do it all the time. Yeah. But flexing your spine when you're when you're picking up your shoe from the floor is something else when, uh, than when there's a hundred kilo on your on your back. Yeah. So that's why we need the stiffness to prevent excessive movements and, and moments because even we're not we're not able to prevent completely prevent movement yeah but with the 100 the kilos on your it. back yeah but, but with 100 kilos on your back you're taking a way bigger risk yeah i think that also kind of answers the question of what is too much flexion but because you can't say you can't we know some nope. people lift with with a round back and we know some people live with super arched backs and some are super perfectly neutral. The one gets injured, the other one doesn't. I think you can't say this one person had way too much flexion. But what I do think, and I think you agree, is that it's more about how much movement is happening throughout the movement, how much stiffness is there, how much control is there and how much maybe comp comes from compensation yeah. rather than how that person is actually built. Yeah. So the bottom line is you need to get to know the person. Yeah. And you need to examine the person. I don't know why this lift hurts your back. Yeah. I need to examine you and you need to tell me your story. Yeah. And I, I, as, as much as people would like to have a black and white answer, the, the, it depends answer is actually a very good answer. Yeah. It, it is. And that's also why even anyone who's, who's like a physio out there or a trainer, personal trainer, maybe you might have to teach the deadlift to squat this whole spinal neutral thing explain it different to every individual that you train because it might be just a bit different for everyone and they might need a different explanation because for the one you know like the the flexed back would be like really not so ideal and for the other one it's that's how they're built maybe like yeah. so i think that you're trying you you're trying to fix something that's not fixable yeah. I think um, one last thing is about like the butt wink during the squats that also came up, how, how bad that is. And I think it's kind of, it's, it's a similar thing that we talked about already. Um, is it something you have to avoid in anyone? Like would you say when you see a butt wink during a squat that this is, should be avoided at all costs or? I think it's, it's um, by definition, it's not wrong as long as you're resilient enough. How do you figure out if you're resilient enough? <laughs> Get um, you test. Yeah. And um, sometimes um, people have a, a wink uh, uh, under the bar, let's say with 50 kilograms. And that's fine. So, so they think my technique's good and it is good for that volume and that load yeah but then they want to go up to 80 and yeah. then they get injured but how do you know like let's say because we maybe see the the person who got injured because we're the physio yeah true how do you as a as a trainer let's say maybe make a smarter decision on educating the, the client on on that i think you have to, to talk with your client about the, the training routine in general. Mm. And if, if he wants to squat every day, I, I wouldn't go for lots of butt wink because you get lots of repetitions, less recovery in between. 
Yeah. And that's not really beneficial. Yeah. But if um, if if you just don't seem to to get it out of the way, yeah. That butt wink, and it really annoys you, <laughs> then you gotta create a workaround you build that person enough resilience to be able to lift with the butt wink and it doesn't have to form a problem or change the squat maybe in a way that it doesn't occur anymore except for maybe again if it's like a power lifter who needs to squat a certain way and then we're back at the specificity question because i i still i would still teach it probably to avoid the butt wing because I would say, okay, what's for a general population client, what's really the benefit of, of going to a depth where it happens and then maybe changing more of the external factors or more about the movement itself rather than about the person to, to reach maybe a certain depth where they don't have that butt wing. Because I, yeah, yeah, I just, I just believe there's for most people just not an extra benefit, even if we start talking about like extra muscle contraction and, and and muscle fiber recruitment of quads or for most people that's probably not applicable so true but i think from a biomechanical perspective if you um, have that butt wink yeah which means the the lower part of the lumbar spine and the pelvis moves it places some stresses on the tissues exactly and it, it doesn't have to be a big risk if there is an empty bar yeah. on your back or you're picking up a shoe from the floor. Yeah. But um, I think the reason to maybe try, try to prevent it is the stresses and the forces on the spine will increase uh, rapidly when the loads start to increase let's say 80 100 and up yeah and then or even relative to a 1rm of that person yeah some yeah. people will never get injured yeah <laughs> uh, they just never will and that's that's fine yeah uh, but you cannot compare yourself with those uh, those people i think you have to build enough again resilience to be able to resist those forces and um, on your spine once you get to the heavier loads and i think it's good to teach people because it's a bit safer to do so i think i think it's also important to educate people because otherwise we have like again i think there's two camps right now of people saying well like never ever ever have a butt wing always keep a neutral spine and then there's the other camp saying and i think that's developing more and more saying like it really does matter just squat just deadlift just it, oh round back whatever i think and i think two extremes are just not good i'm just not really no. like a fan of those two camps it's like people saying core training works core training doesn't work you know like i think it just just have to find this in between this super person specific um answer yep. Um, because you can't just say spine flexion doesn't matter, but you also can't say anything but neutral is wrong. So I think, I think just finding, um, and that's again, super individual and yeah. 
bit frustrating. That's <laughs> the problem with the uh, general statements. And I yeah. think that also, that's also the problem with social media. Because mm. trainers and physios are just posting stuff. It's like they're posting a study. <clears throat> Core training doesn't work. Mm. Or a rounded spine is fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But for who? It should just give people, readers, maybe an idea of that there is another point of view or other research out there and i mean me as someone who does social media it's sometimes difficult to try to explain two camps in one post but i think like i'm responsible to do so um because i'm just not a fan of saying this is this is it this is this is black and white it's both right in a way just depends but uh, but a lot of nuance and um good reasoning doesn't get you as many clicks and likes that's another topic people yeah. like the people like the extremes um, yeah. and that's fine yeah um but then i think you you ought to be um smarter yeah and the, the truth always lies in the lies in the middle especially gotta, as physio and trainer in our profession i think that's uh that it depends is is this is the motto of our of our life yeah you just gotta know why you do certain stuff yeah all right, I think that was it for the talk. Um, just for anyone who's listening, maybe where where can I where can they find you on social media or? Um, I'm not a big guy on uh, social media. They can uh, find me on Instagram. I think you'll you'll you, you'll put post it in, in the, the description. Post it in the in the the thing. Uh, they can they can reach out to me if if people want advice. If people ha are. Uh, coping with uh, back pain yeah uh, uh, you can send my you, you can put my uh, my details uh in there uh, come find me in amsterdam <laughs> come find me at a uh, physio lab come yeah. find me at bundle gym you can reach out to me uh by email uh, by phone awesome and i'll be glad to help awesome well thank you for the talk i really enjoyed it i think there were some super cool nuggets and information brain games for everyone so yeah thank you very much thank you too carmen